listening to First Church Charlotte. Lesson three of a series we've been doing for the new year entitled Rebuild. Not just build, but rebuild. And today we are reading in Matthew chapter number seven. Just follow along. There's several scriptures here. You don't have to stand. Sometimes when we read, we stand. Sometimes we just reference and move along. Uh, so this is Jesus speaking. Uh, he is uh, talking about what it's like when someone hears these words of life that he gives and then puts them into practice. Therefore, everyone, somebody say, that's me. That's me. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the floods rose up. How many of you went to Sunday school when you were growing up? You went to Sunday school? Now, we, 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 we don't call it Sunday school anymore because one day I was driving home and I asked my son how Sunday school was. And he said, well, Dad, I just have something I want to share with you. And I said, all right, bud. He said, uh, if you want to make a kid hate something, call it school. <laughs> I was like, my God, speak out of the mouths of babes. And so now it's first kids. <laughs> they have a great time. If you're parents, I think you would be well served by introducing your children to a consistent church family and church life uh, and bringing them to the house of the Lord. Can I have an amen from everybody who went to Sunday school? So here we go. The rain came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. Rains came down and the floods came up, but the house on the rock stood firm. Amen. See, that's why they don't let me go to the mega rehearsal and sing, uh, because, yeah, anyway, moving along. Uh, they built this wise man, heard words of life, and he did not simply reflect upon them, and that is the end of the matter. So many of us are amateur philosophers, and we love to pass judgment on things. We uh, love to consider and then announce to the world, whether on social media or in our circles, um, what we think about X. And it's not, it's not just me. It's not just you. It's something about human nature. I was eating the other day, and there was a, a man sitting. I guess he was with his wife or his girlfriend, and he just was going on and on and on and on and on and on about the situation in Russia. I never saw anybody in my life who had such an opinion on the situation in Russia. And his wife finally asked him, had he ever been to Russia? I may have been his girlfriend. I don't know. Um, and was he a Russian specialist? And did he speak the language? Did he know anything about Russia? And I think what she was trying to say is, we're, there's not going to be another date. You know, <laughs> I made a mistake and swiped right, but that's the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I don't care what y'all suckers think. So anyway, uh, point being, uh, he look, we all, we love passing judgment on things. And it's, it's, it's not just me or not just you. It's human nature. So I'm not like act, acting like there's us cool kids and then the rest of you loudmouths. That's not what I'm acting like. This is a human thing. Do you see? And if we're not careful, we hear words of life and we, we reflect on them, but we don't do anything with them. Uh, I, the last couple of years, have been very, very much, uh, very, very much troubled by the realization that um, although you or I may love wisdom, uh, the 
thing that moves the needle in our life is not what we know. Uh, in fact, every one of us know good things that would make our life better, and we're not doing them. We know. I mean, I'm going to stuff my face with that, that, that pie thing over there. That my wife, Don't you even think about it. I'll rebuke the devil. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, we, it's not enough to know. We have to put things into action, yes? We have to be doers of, of the Word. And if you do that, if you receive words of life, and then you orient your life around that, you, you have a truth and you build upon that truth, it is as though uh, you are unique in this regard. You live with foundations. Because hear me when I say this. If you don't have foundations, you will have to have a coping mechanism. It's either foundations or a coping mechanism. It's either foundations or a coping mechanism. It's either foundations or a coping mechanism. Most people who are in some way bound, addicted, trapped, in some way imprisoned by bad habits, uh, bad choices, bad circumstances, are because instead of building or instead of building upon foundations, they decided to choose a coping mechanism. Yeah. And for some people, it's really, really unhealthy habits. And for other people, it's unhabits that that's habits that aren't in themselves unhealthy. But by the time they get done with them. Uh, they've become unhealthy. It's the workaholic who thinks if he or she just has enough money, then they'll be happy. Uh, This is a coping mechanism. It's the tightwad who has to save money so they can sleep at night if they have enough money in the bank. This is a coping mechanism. It's the person who uh, has a little bit too much, how shall we say this, uh, uh, alcohol because it lets the world blur around them. It's the drug addict who likes themselves when they're high. Uh, this is all, this is, this is the story of humankind. You either have foundations or you have a coping mechanism. The problem is the coping mechanism is in some way uh, making your life harder with the illusion of making it easier. It's just you're struggling in the difference between short-term perspective and long-term reality. Anyway, not preaching about that. We have to not just receive words of life. We have to not just think about spiritual truths. We, we, have to, uh, we have to build upon those truths. We have to make decisions based on those truths because the rain falls on everybody. Yeah. Trouble comes to every home. Yeah. Pain comes to everybody. Death knocks on every door. And uh, we stand, as it were, in a life that our decisions, our choices, our attitudes had a big part of building. All right, so let me talk about this in the context of the series we've been doing in this new year. Um, We talked about how Elijah, there were two learning stories that we referenced. The first one was Elijah uh, rebuilding the altar of the Lord in front of the whole nation. Real quick to bring you up, he called the people uh, to a moment of decision and said, choose today who you're going to serve. If you want to serve Baal, that's, that's, that's your business. Uh, I'm not doing it. If you're going to do it, that's your business. Let's see if he's worth serving. Let's see if he can make a difference in your life. And when all the marketing is done and all the, you know, with this and that, and uh, let's see if he can make a difference in your life. Uh, if 
that doesn't work, we'll call on Yahweh and see if he can make a difference in your life. And this is the contest, the spiritual showdown uh, in the life of the children of Israel. And so you know the story. Uh, the prophets of Baal failed in spite of uh, the pretend encouragement that Elijah offered in a very kindly manner. Uh, you know, maybe your God's on vacation. You know, maybe he's keeping banker hours. You know, maybe he has COVID. All these things that Elijah was trying to encourage them with, none of them worked. And the result of that was um, they quit trying. And then Elijah says, everybody pay attention. Everybody pay attention. Come with me. Watch where I'm going. Follow me. I want you to see what I'm going to do. Now, this is the midday. And uh, from the midday to the evening sacrifice, uh, which, depending on how you calculate it, which scholar you you uh, listen to, it's between the, uh, the mid- late afternoon and the sunset. There, it's it d- debated depending on scholarship. And so, um, I don't have a dog in that fight. So, whatever they did, that's what they did from the middle of the day until this time uh, where it is late in the day. What is Elijah doing? He's not praying. He's not praying. His prayer is given to us. It's only about seventy words. It takes about. 90 seconds to pray very slowly a 70-word prayer. Um, It's less than a minute for most people to pray a 70-word prayer, and Elijah prays a 70-word prayer. What happened? God shows, I can make a difference in your life. I am the God who can intervene in the world you are living in. You you know this story, and so uh, it's not, he's not praying all day. Um, Furthermore, um, the fire, when it falls from heaven, is not slowly descending like a hot air balloon. What are they doing all day where the people are watching? Elijah saying, watch me rebuild the altar to the Lord. Don't look away. Get off your screens. Check off your social media. Watch me rebuild the, t- the altar of the Lord. God will not build for you an altar. We build the altar. God does what we cannot do, which is what? He places a lamb of sacrificial covering upon that altar. Abraham, lay not your hand upon the lad. God will provide for himself a sacrifice. God does what we can't do. None of us have innocent hearts, innocent minds and innocent blood, but God can provide a sacrifice. Further, none of us can answer by fire, but God manifesting, illustrating, teaching us the Shekinah glory of the majesty presence of God can fall like fire and consume the sacrifice. God can do that, but God won't build you an altar. You've got to build that altar. So that was the first story uh, to talk about this idea of rebuilding. Uh, the second story is the, uh, the story of David wanting to build the Lord a house. Now, the Lord had a place of dwelling symbolically, and that was a tabernacle. It was a, a tent, a kind of a fancy, fancy tent, and a modular. They could move it. Um, and the, the, something in the heart of David, he wants to build the Lord a house. Now, remember, the Lord has a house, so David basically is building the Lord a better house. And um, he desires this from the Lord, and he asks the Lord, and um, the Lord is interested by this. Uh, you can read the story. We read it last week. The Lord's almost like, huh, I hadn't really thought about needing a house, you know. 
Um, I nowhere have I asked for anyone to build a house. Read the story. No, I haven't asked. Have you heard me ask anybody? I don't really get cold when it's cold. You know, I am the cold, and I, I don't really get wet when it rains. I am the rain, and I don't really get fearful when it storms. I am the storm. Um, so, you know, I guess a house would be cool. I mean, and David's like, it's in my heart. It's in my heart. I want to do it for you. The Lord's like, well, okay, tell you what. Since it's in your heart, I'm going to let you start the process. Your son will finish the process. Process. Uh, I'm going to let you do a cut to this in your heart, but while you're worrying about building a house for me, let me tell you the house I'm going to build for you. Uh, this shows David's heart after God. This is why David is known as uh, a man after God's own heart. This is why three times in the Bible, David is called, Old Testament and New Testament, the friend of God. And so, um, uh, excuse me, the man after God's own heart. Abraham's called the friend of God. Don't let me get started on false doctrine. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, you ever talking and also like, better check the facts, ladies and gentlemen, just the facts. And so, <laughs> um, uh, anyway, fast save. You can talk bad about me later. Uh, it's in the heart of David to do something for the Lord. And even though uh, the Lord doesn't really need a house of wood, a house of gold, um, he is intrigued by David's desire to build him a house. And let me point out a couple things. First of all, David doesn't build the house because the kind of house you build reflects upon the God you claim to serve. Remember that. And so God tells, no, your son will build it. You're known as a man of war. You're known as a bloody man. Your son will be known as a man of peace. The house we build reflects on my life, on my heart, the Lord says. So I'm going to let him build the house that the nation see us by. Uh, remember that whole point I brought out about uh, we, the house we build reflects upon the God we serve. Um, and I'll let your son finish it, but I love that it's in your heart. I'm going to build for you a house. I'm going to commit to you covenant partnership. I'm going to save the world through your lineage. In fact, when the Messiah walks the dusty paths of Palestine, they're going to call him son of David. And so uh, this is a beautiful moment, and I want to point out a couple things that perhaps you haven't thought about. In many ways, David does build a house for the Lord because what David does is establish a style of worship that so touches the heart of God that when uh, the new covenant is given, uh, the church age, people will worship God in the manner of King David and David's tabernacle. And that's why the scriptures can say that God inhabits the praises of his people. So there's something in the heart of David that resonates. Now, I want to provide the Lord something. And even though he doesn't build a physical house that uh, will pass away, he builds the Lord a house of praise and worship that never passes away. Today, we clap our hands because David told us how to do it in the presence of God. Today, we lift our voice because David told us to do it in the presence of the Lord. Today, we have keys and we have guitars and we have cymbals and high-sounding cymbals. We even have a backbeat. David told taught us how to do all of that. God inhabits the praises of his people. You see two pictures of something that God did not build. On one hand, you see an altar of devotion, a reminder to me that I am incomplete without God, a statement to me that if he doesn't cover my sins, there is no hope, a statement not to God, but to me that I am nothing without him. I build this altar not because you're the one who needs a covering God. I build this altar because I'm the one who needs to get back up, repent of my sins, and start all over again. I build this altar not because you have a problem 
problem keeping covenants. I build this altar because I have a problem keeping covenants. And this altar right here is to remind me I serve God and God alone. Watch me build this altar. God's not going to build me this altar. I build this altar. Watch me build this altar. All the children of Israel, watch me build this altar. It's not God that needs to be reminded to keep a covenant. It's us down here that need to be reminded to keep a covenant. Are you going to build an altar in your life? You need to build an altar. You need to have some way of reminding yourself that you're not just a American trying to make it through the weekend. Uh, You've chosen covenant with Almighty God. You need to decide you're not just a charlatan, uh, or as we say, a charlatan. (laughs) Not that bad. We're the New South, right? Uh, We're not just people. We have chosen. You know what an altar does? It reminds you of this. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So whatever it is in your life, whether it's a prayer closet, whether it is a room you pray in, whether it is your drive to work where you turn off the news uh, and you lift up your heart before God, whether it is a service that you do unto the Lord, you build an altar. God will not build your altar. And so it is with a life of worship. If it's not in your heart to be a worshiper, you are only going to experience what your emotions, where your emotions are currently at. You won't be a worshiper. All of us have a current level of our emotions. There's some various levels of respective trouble in your life. Some of you are on top of the world. Some of you are under the doormat. We've got this whole range in between. If you're not a worshiper, what you get from church will be your emotional level, and you'll wonder why there wasn't much happening at church. There was a lot happening in church. While you were bored thinking about your week, there was someone weeping before God right on uh, one pew over. It's not about uh, your emotional level. It's about whether or not you say, I am a worshiper. There's something in me. I want to worship God. I choose to worship God. I'm laying aside the junk. I choose to worship God. David teaches you this. He doesn't just worship God when he's on the throne. He worships God in the cave. He doesn't just worship God when he is ascending the throne of Judah. He worships God when he's being betrayed by his own son and lied about and having trees in his own house. He worships God when he's happy. He worships God when he's sad. Why? He understands God's not going to build a house of worship for him. He builds a house of worship. All right, so I just re-preach my series to you. So the idea is this. All of us are builders. Today, I am trying to communicate this, uh, this well, uh, this necessary insight, and that is simply this. I am a builder, and God is my foundation. I am a builder, and God is my foundation. Now, uh, we read this passage where Jesus likens the kingdom of God to a man who hears the words of life, and what does he do? He, he acts on those words of life. It's not just reflective kind of, what do I think about this? What do I think about that? He says, no, these are words of life, and I'm going to begin to orient my life, not someday when I'm old, but now. I'm going to orient my life now on these words. A person who does that is like a man, wise man, who builds upon the rock. Uh, here is uh, uh, just full disclosure. If um, you know, all great theological truths are held in tension, um, and you have heard me talk about this lot, a lot and preach about this a lot, and you will continue to hear because it is a fundamental element to understanding both the nature of God and the nature of humans' need for God. There's this tension. It's not just 
God of judgment, people who only have a God of judgment, it's like they want a cardboard cutout of God, and they want to then project their personality on their cardboard cutout, and they want to kind of ignore the scriptures that don't fit God of judgment, and then they want to slap you over the head with that cardboard cutout. On the other hand, there's people who, uh, they, they want a different cardboard cut, cutout, and that is, you know, I, nothing I do matters, you know, God is just love, and that means he validates whatever I decide to do. That is a cardboard cutout of God there. On one hand, you have uh, judgment. On the other side, you have what? Mercy. And we end up with this kind of uh, caricature of God, almost like a cartoon character where we go through the Bible and we, we uh, pick this and we kind of ignore that or try to find a way to explain it today. The truth is um, the, tr- the, the, the understanding of who God is and who we are and our need for God and God's supply for our need is actually held in tension between these two things, between uh, justice and uh, grace, between mercy and judgment. All theological truths are held this way. Uh, this can be difficult because understanding God this way requires you to be a person who asks and seeks and knocks. Now, this feels like a lot of uh, spiritual hard work. That's exactly what it is. Um, what we tend to want instead is someone to just tell us what to do. Just make it simple. Don't make me carry my soul. Just give me something where I can feel good about me and judge other people because nothing really satisfies us as much as seeing other other people aren't as good as us because God has to grade on the curve. Um, so uh, this tension exists, and on one hand, you have people like God's all judgment, and uh, the truth is actually, and this is why all of you need to be continual celebrators of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no reconciliation between these two theological opposites until Jesus Christ pays our debt in sin. We have a sin debt, and Christ pays it. And the gospel is that although we can never bridge these opposites, they have been bridged through Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. And so we, all of us, wrestle with this. Now, let me give you an example of how this uh, continues in the Old Testament. And maybe if we have time, uh, I'll mention the New Testament. Um, In the Old Testament, you see this reality. You'll find scriptures that says basically this. Keep the covenant of the Lord. If you don't keep it, you're going to be destroyed. You find scriptures like that. If you don't know where to start, start with the book of Exodus. There's lots of that in the book of Exodus. Keep the covenant or we're going to go boom, boom, boom on you. And there's going to be running and screaming and lots of drama. And eventually Hollywood will make a thriller about your life. Um, So that's one view of it. Keep the covenant or you're going to get judged. And then there's a bunch of scriptures. Again, you can find some in Exodus uh, that go like this. You know, God will never break his covenant with you. Even if you break it, God will never break it. And any fair student of the word of the Lord who isn't, you know, in an environment where they're afraid to ask a question, they, they end up with this reality. Now, which is it? Which, which is it? Is it that if I don't keep the covenant, there's no hope for me? Uh, there's judgment? Or on the other hand, uh, God will never break his covenant? No, even if I break it, which is it? This, my brothers and sisters, is the essential problem of the original covenant 
the original fall of the Garden of Eden, and this is why God gave us a New Testament in his blood, a new covenant. This is why we celebrate this with the Lord's Supper. We celebrate this new this reconciliation of these two things in Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. So why am I preaching this way today? The same challenge is seen in the New Testament, and it goes like this. Does God change me, or do I change me? Which one is it? There's scriptures. You can read them, and it can go like this. You better start living right. You better start running around with crazy people. You need to start acting the fool. Stop acting the fool. You get yourself sorted out. Get yourself organized and wash your stinking car. You know. <laughs> preaching to myself. Preaching to myself. And on the other hand, you have scriptures like this. Nothing you can do. Nothing you can do. You might as well just live like a wild person because you couldn't be good enough if you tried. Which one is it? Which one is it? All right, so I'm going to try to give you some perspective on this challenge. I was speaking this past week with a, a, a gentleman, and I am uh, you know, was just trying to do what all pastors everywhere try to do, trying to uh, encourage him and help him, and, and I, I I was talking to him, and he was uh, kind of got himself in a bit of a mess and wanting to dig out, you know, and I'm saying all that good pastorally advice that uh, if anybody here is in a mess, I'm going to give to you right now for free, okay? Well, maybe I'll send you an invoice. Depends on how the week goes, but let's just assume it's free for right now. You didn't get into your circumstance in a day, and you're not going to get out of it in a day. You dug your way into it, and now you're going to fill that hole back up. <laughs> I hate it when that happens, but that's how life works. <laughs> Be not deceived. God's not mocked. And so I didn't know how to say this because let's be honest, us religious people love to celebrate how I had made a mess of my life and then God fixed all my troubles. And then the man comes in. I fixed all my troubles. Fixed all my troubles. I fixed it. Fixed it. You get the idea. I know I'm not invited to the mega practice. Church folks love to talk about how I burned it down and prayed in Jesus' name. I turned around and it was all fixed. And yeah, so uh, less about that. <laughs> so I told my friend, I told him some straight truth. And I, I warned him. You know how I do. I warned him. I said, look, I'm going to tell you some real straight truth. I don't know if you can take it, but maybe, maybe I'll regret telling you this. But um, I feel like maybe we should give it a shot. It goes like this. You know, God doesn't care much about your problems, but he cares a lot about you. Oh, no, don't say it. Um, God's not really intimidated by your problems. You're the one intimidated by your problems. God's not really impressed by the mess you got yourself in. You're the one impressed with the mess. And God really, uh, he's not super interested in fixing your mess. He's really interested in fixing you. Now, I know, let's just be honest, we're church people. We love us some church, right? We love us some church. He fixed all my mess. He fixed it. He fixed it. (laughs) But I'm going to give you some real world love, okay? God's much more interested in fixing you than he is your mess. Which is it? Does God build the house? 
and we labor in, in the, if we, he doesn't do it, they labor in vain who try to do it without him? Or do we build the house? You see how we have this tension? Okay, let's talk about it. We have this tension between us. So this is uh, what I, and this is not me trying to be theological brilliant. This is about me trying to be practical. This is not about, you know, let me give you words of life. This is about let's do them, okay? Let's do these words of life. It goes like this. God builds the stuff you can't touch and asks you to build the stuff that testifies of his change in you. As a result, you're made in the image of God. Yes, God's a builder, but honey, you're a builder too. God wants to fix you, and the result of transformation in you is you begin to fix the mess in your life. Your testimony is that God did for you what you could never do for you. God's testimony is look at who you have become through him. So let me say it this way. God is a, I, let me say it better. I am a builder. God. So the point I'm trying to say is this. I am a builder. I make decisions every day and it builds something. There are things God will not build for me. He will not build my altars that are there to remind me that I'm serving him. I'm not serving self. That altar is there to remind me that I cannot be my own salvation. How are you doing building altars in your life? Altars have to be kept. Altars have to be valued. Altars, altars have to be built and rebuilt. Altars are always at risk of falling down and you have to gather the fire blackened stones of that altar and put them back together and say, no, I will make holy my devotion to God. I will put him first. I'm glad for a career that's never going to buy me happiness. I'm glad for money in the bank. That money is never going to buy me happiness. I am a builder and God is my foundation. I can't build foundations. That's the bad news. You see, if you don't settle, if you, <laughs> if you don't build uh, foundations, what you'll do is you'll settle for coping. Yeah. Did I preach about this earlier? Yeah. Thank God. Let me move along. I thought I had mixed up the 9 a.m. service. <laughs> All right. Uh, foundations cannot be built by you. They are built by God. But that is not to say you are not a builder. Every decision, every choice, every action, every attitude. When you feel like you're overcoming, when you feel like you're repenting, when you feel like you're getting back up again, this is the act of building. I am a builder, and God is my foundation. I can lecture the people in my life, or I can build, and my life becomes the testimony that my mouth never could become. I build. I build. How do I handle myself? How do you handle yourself? How do I deal with setback? How do I deal with sickness? It's coming for all of us. How do I deal with disappointment? I am a builder and God is my foundation. There are certain trials, and I'm almost done, musicians, you can come. Um, there are certain trials in our life that are, they serve as opportunities for us to stop building and start feeling sorry for ourselves and leave our life as a type of unfinished project. Uh, we quit building and we settle for ruins. And I don't think there's anything more, than depressed, more depressing than an abandoned building project. 
Um, I, honestly, true, true story. Um, I, I don't think there's anything more depressing than uh, abandoned building project because it's as though the bones of that construction project was once someone's plan, someone's dreams, and they uh, made a mistake somewhere. They did not. They did not count the cost. They did not measure the tower as the Bible teaches us to do. Uh, they have an unfinished uh, project. Uh, as an evangelist, I preached revivals at several churches who had started building programs and ran out of money. Now, let me tell you a secret. All churches run out of money in building projects. It's like a thing. It's in the scripture, Nathaniel 16 and 2. Who art thou that buildeth a new sanctuary, O man? Dost thou not know that money shall trouble thee? Yes, there we go. Um, that's the King James Version, Nathaniel 16 and 2. So um, here, here is this reality of this unfinished project. And if we're not careful, our lives can look like that. Our lives can look like an unfinished project. And here's the sad reality is the ruins of it are usually invisible to us. But they're visible to everybody who was looking to us. I'm not trying to heap guilt on your day. I just want you to see some real, real world New South truth here. <laughs> and they're visible to everybody else. But because we have fallen for the victim voice on the inside, we buy, buy into a narrative that blinds us to the reality that we quit building. You see, God will not build my altar for me. I have to put him first in my life. I have to remind myself that, look, buddy, you're the guy who has a hard time keeping covenants, not God. You're the covenant breaker, not God. Put him first. Build an altar. In like manner, I have to choose to be a worshiper. I can't just worship when things went well. I can't just worship when I got the job. <laughs> that's not what a, being a worshiper is. Uh, that's, that, that's missing the point. I am a worshiper. These are things I build. There's a lot of things I can't build. I, I, I can't build foundations. I have a very short-term view. Even at best, the oldest of us really struggle much more than a hundred years of experience, and that's the oldest across the human race. The truth is most of us lose our ability to change much faster than the society we're living in. And that's what happens we all get old and grumpy because we're just sick of change. We're sick of the world moving. We want it to be still. Besides, don't everyone know I started getting letters from the AARP? I'm ready for this all to stop. I'm sick of it already. I'm over it. I'm done with it. Actually, I'm not done with it. It makes me a little mad. You see, you see at our best, we have a very short-term view. We don't build foundations. God builds foundations. God is not super interested in fixing all my troubles so we can all celebrate at the temple of Nate. But God is very interested in fixing me. That my life might testify of who he is. Let men see your good works and glorify your... Somebody say it with me. Let men see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I am a builder and God is my foundation. Every day. I build, I choose. I either hold my temper or I don't hold my temper. I either give in to the flesh or I don't. And when I quit and I give up, 
I'm satisfied with my excuses. But to the people in my world, they see this unfinished project. And that's so sad because you are made in the image of God. Yes, he's a builder and he'll build what he can build. And he has so graced you and honored you by giving you hands to build and giving you talent to build and giving you creativity to build. And then he placed you in a world and he said, build, baby, build. No, he didn't say that. But that's what he ought to have said. Every decision, every choice, we build. We build. Let men see your good works. It's not about being good enough to be saved, but it's all about telling the world about how good the God is who saved you. Stand with me all across the house. I was going to go over six. I was going to go over six testimonies or uh, trials, I should say. Um, I may mention them next, next week. Let me just real quick mention the six trials. Whenever you're given a difficult new task, it's a temptation uh, to quit building. Whenever you face a major change in your life, it's a temptation to quit building. Whenever you live with a delayed promise in your life, it's a temptation to quit, quit building. Whenever you face an unsolvable problem, it is a temptation to quit building. Whenever you live with a senseless loss and lift your eyes heavenward, say, why, oh Lord, it's a temptation to quit building. Lastly, whenever you face prolonged pain, it's a temptation to quit building. And in the notes, you can get off the website. We go through Hebrews chapter number 11. And we show how all the great men and women of faith had to face these battles. And they had to choose. In spite of setback, trouble, disappointment, pain, etc., etc., God is my foundation. And he's given me a place to build. He's given me a testimony. He's given me a family. He's given me a friends. He's given me talents. He's given me abilities. And he said it's like this. This kingdom of God is like an individual who hears words of life and considers them and decides to act upon them. And when that individual does this, it's as though that person gathers their abilities, their talents, their whatnot, and they build upon a foundation. And storms are always coming. It's the nature of storms. But this storm can not destroy what the man did because the wise man did not try to build foundations. He let God be his foundation and he built what he could upon God. What are you building on? What are you building on? You have talent, you have ability, you have gifts, you have resources. What are you building on? Are you building a temple to yourself or are you building something to glorify God? And he is the thing that makes it all stand strong and hold together. Pray with me across the house. Lord Jesus, I'm praying right now that each one of us would be convicted and challenged in our spirit to make a commitment to you, to have strong altars in our life to build a life that is a tabernacle of worship before you. Lord Jesus, don't let us be too impressed with our difficulty, too quick to give in to our own narrative of victim and, and quit and explanation and excuse. But rather, Lord, let us realize you have placed us upon a firm foundation. 
and what we build in you cannot be destroyed by the enemy what good work we do in you and through you cannot be destroyed by the enemy though the heathen rage though the storm wind blows though the flood waters rise we are safe in you god is my foundation i am building in a world you have given me i am living in a world you have placed me in i am choosing in a circumstance you have ordained me for we commit ourselves to you today use this church i pray use first church to build something worthy in uh, your kingdom for your kingdom in this city lord jesus use every ministry of this church i pray every element from a small group to a, a production to uh, various ministries our church does god let it be not simply a habit or as a ritual but let it be a structure built upon you that has foundations and the enemy that cannot destroy use this for your kingdom today in jesus name our worship team is going to lead us deeper into praise and worship here today. And it's the style of our church to kind of linger around the altar and spend some time applying the Word of God into our life. And I want to invite all of you to do that. If, if you have to go, you can, of course, slip out at any time. Thank you for worshiping with us. But those of you who can, I'd like you to kind of prepare your heart. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us. Thank you.